Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. After I discuss the relatively unknown but fascinating bouncing bomb from World War II, we leave the war talk behind so we can... And I swear, people, Brett made me say these things. Pretend to be mentally challenged so we can qualify for welfare, sleep with each other's wives, and pretend to have AIDS. Actually, none of those things are true, but they all happen on one of Brett's favorite comedies, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims, let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearinghouse. Content Clearinghouse. And it starts right now. Brett, how are you? I'm doing awesome, man. Ate some turkey and did some skydiving how are oh, you man <laughs> well, that's way better than what i did i just ate some turkey and i did go on i'm sure our listeners will be very surprised to hear me talk about this but i went on a one wheel mission last night oh yeah and uh one wheel has become the new uh the new most mentioned thing on this show but uh yeah i, I made this like two and a half mile journey to the there's a gas station near my house i was like man i wonder if i can like range out to that place and go pick up some snacks it was awesome man it's like total night mission like rolling stealth through the neighborhoods it was really cool that's awesome gotta love the one wheel <sighs> best thing ever so how were the skydives man they were good uh you'll be proud of me i did pack my own rig from start to finish so for those listening uh, I got a brand new canopy. It had like three jumps on it. So I bought it used, but it's like really crinkly and poofy and it's very difficult to pack. And the D bag, which is like this, I don't know, it's a, it's like a Ziploc gallon sized bag that's meant to hold a four person tent. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> I've been struggling to pack this thing myself like i can do everything else except for this one step i really struggle and uh but i've 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 seen like three different techniques and i've gone back to the uh, as a uh, law of primacy what you learn first you learn best so i'm going back to like how i learned 10 years ago but i've just like i don't know i think just practicing and going through the motions a couple times i'm getting a little bit better at controlling the canopy but uh but the jumps were good i mean it you know three way uh, two-way free fly stuff with our good friends John and Byron, best dudes Shout ever. Shout out! Yeah, it's good to hear that you're finally able to pack it. Now you just have to do that thousands and thousands of times <laughs> more for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. It's great, man. So I got a uh, pretty interesting off top for you today. You know that I'm like a big world war ii buff i like war in general big big fan of war <laughs> yeah. uh, at least the concept of it i like learning about it but uh so i was i know you don't really use facebook much and a lot of podcasts that i listen to facebook is kind of considered to be like a faux pas it's like only like idiots and old people use facebook but it's the I think I have like platform a un- isn't it I guess zoomers all the way it's it's come back um, around zoomers are on my, myspace now <laughs> oh man they're going retro but uh i 
the way I use Facebook is the first thing I do is anyone who posts anything personal, I block them immediately. So one of my favorite activities on Facebook is blocking people. Like I'll accept any friend request, but then just know that I'm probably going to unfollow you immediately because what I've tried to do with my Facebook feed is just curate it. So only like content creators are in it. So I have like all this awesome content from Red Bull and like I found this woodworking page. I'm not even into woodworking, but it's just so satisfying watching these guys like fit these intricate pieces of wood together. It's like, oh, it's so, so relaxing. Yeah, it's like but, forged in fire, except it's wood instead of steel. Yeah, I really love craftsmanship. The other day. Yep. Yeah. So I was just kind of, you know, I was, I'm going through clicking on videos and then Facebook has like a really good endless scroll where they'll give you video content that's like somewhat related to what you were watching. So I'm not sure how I got on this, but I ended up on this page called Dark Five. It was like Dark Facts by Dark Five. And uh, it was all of these really interesting World War II, uh, I guess these stories about like technology and different missions and uh, the training and things like that. So I, I got sucked into a bunch of these like Dark Facts videos and I learned about something I never really knew about other than maybe just in a very cursory manner was this, uh, this aviation operation called operation chastise. I don't expect you to have ever heard of that, but if you have, and you say yes, then you're going to surprise me right now, Brett, does that ring any kind of a bell for you? So this is not uh, operation chastity belt. No. Okay. That's something else. Not your Saturday (laughs) night plans. This is a World War II mission. No, I have never heard of Operation Chastise, but I... Uh, it's so interesting. I feel like... I, I, I'm a little nervous where this is going. This sounds like a this sounds like a Facebook conspiracy, I'm going to be honest with you, the way the story's well, panning out. Doesn't have a whole lot of QAnon involved. Is it, but did you this learn was about a, this on an anti-vaxxer group? No, okay. it was Flat Earth. Okay. <laughs> No, it was uh, so. It was, Operation Chastise was this operation by the Royal Air Force, and the the mission was to collapse the energy grid and to halt the steel production in Germany. And the way they were going to do this was by bombing these three key dams: the Mona, the Sorpe, and the Eder dams. These uh, the dams they provided drinking water and electricity and water for steel processing, but they were like they were considered to be these very difficult targets because. One, they were protected by torpedo nets, which was like typically the way that dams were attacked in the beginning of World War II. And also the uh, the RAF, their bombs and their just their bomber technology, it lacked the surgical accuracy that they needed for like hitting these essentially like a two lane road that they needed to penetrate deep enough to get down to the waterline. So they created, this is so fascinating, they created this bouncing bomb and it's basically, it was this cylindrical 9,000-pound bomb that would hang underneath a, uh, an Avro Lancaster Mark III bomber. They attached it with these this special boom that would spin it. And for the bomb to bounce properly, it had to be spinning uh, 60 rotations per minute with a backspin. And it had to be dropped from... So one rotation per second? S- Pretty much, huh. yeah. You could that say that slow. if you wanted to. 
if you wanted to reduce the fraction down, <laughs> you could do that. But it was, it was these very specific requirements for this thing to bounce on the water. It weighed 9,000 pounds. So it had a, oh, sorry. Sorry. I got my facts wrong. 500 rotations per minute. Okay. The height was 60 feet. Okay. So they had to fly these bombers at 60 feet, rotating these things 500 RPMs backwards. And they had to fly at 232 miles an hour. So they're just like cruising across basically like wave top altitude and for the planes to carry these things they had to like remove all of their armor they had to remove their turrets they had to basically save weight so they could get this crazy bomb up underneath a plane and the footage of them dropping these things over the water is like absolutely insane they're coming cruising at like you know like treetop level and they drop this bomb and it's bouncing back up in the air like 30 or 40 feet so like almost high enough to hit the plane and when it skips across the water, it's skipping like 500 feet at a time on a bounce. It's like some of the most incredible footage I've ever seen from World War II documentaries. And I'm hoping we're going to have some of that footage to share in our show notes. Yes, you'll have to get on Facebook because oh, no. I literally cannot find a YouTube link. I can't find an Instagram link. This It seems like this page is only on Facebook, so... I will share that. This is like the sun dog of World War II content. It is. I, I got it from a dark fact 69420 <laughs> on, uh, on Facebook. So the Operation Chastise, it was, there were 21 bomber crews. It was Squadron 617. They were known as the Dam Busters. So they started training for like the crazy flying that was required on this mission just like a month ahead of time. So they had almost no lead up to this mission. And they were doing these low altitude night flights. And uh, like some of the struggles they were facing was the uh, the uh, Eder Dam. It was in these deep canyons and required just like basically like trench run, like Star Wars Death Star trench run flying. And the, uh, the Sorpe, it was like this huge, had this concrete watertight core that was basically like considered to be almost impenetrable. And on the primary approach angle there was a church steeple standing directly in the line of flight so they were going to have to like slalom around it to get the uh get the proper approach and the the monet was uh they said the approach angle on that one wasn't too crazy so they were actually expecting to do pretty well at busting that dam but the uh so they took off in two flights on may 16th 1943 and of the 18 aircraft that launched in that initial flight, uh, only 11 of them made it to the actual bombing sites to drop their bombs. Uh, there were, of the 11, only seven actually hit due to those ridiculous requirements that were involved in launching properly. And on the approach or on the way out, eight aircraft were lost to anti-air or striking the sea while they were approaching low altitudes. And at least two of these guys were damaged by the explosion from their own bomb detonation because they were only flying at 60 feet. So this is like the, they don't have footage of the actual mission, but they have footage of the training. And I mean, this just looks like one of the most taxing things I can imagine ever being asked of an airman, you know, a bomber crew during world war two, which is a time I'm sure, you know, is like, nothing but taxing missions for these guys man that is uh i'm looking at some pictures now because i just pulled it up online 
You know, you know how we talk about separating content from the creator so that you can appreciate Michael Jackson's uh, music without necessarily yep. condoning the person, the person himself. Um, I this is one of those times where it's it's good to separate the amazing engineering achievements and you know, but not give the Nazis a pat on the back. But this is kind of amazing. Well, this is a this is a, a British oh, so it's these, a British project. Gotcha. So this, yeah, they were attacking. Ooh, okay, the Nazis. so I don't, I don't have to. I can root these guys on. I don't have to feel guilty about kind of admiring the ingenuity of this. Well, that makes only me feel if better on the side of the Allies, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, so the goal, like they they wanted to collapse the German energy grid essentially and they wanted to you know stop them from being able to provide water to their troops and to halt steel production and the mission didn't really do that in fact like if you look at what they actually did and the damage they did how many people were lost like they lost 53 of the 143 airmen that participated three were taken captive when they ditched their own plane you know from the their own bomb exploding and damaging their plane so if you look at the numbers, like they did not actually do very well with this mission. They were, you know, they partially collapsed some of these dams. And as far as like the, the people that were displaced, you know, it was maybe a couple of thousand people, all of their production was back up and running in a few months. But what the British did was they spun the events in the news and they were reporting that over 50 German towns were flooded and they reported that multiple factories were destroyed and that the dirty bombed water was spreading typhoid. And most of that was like fabricated, but the news did raise morale in Britain and the rumors spread amongst the German army. So the actual results of, you know, their, their tactile results were very limited, but operation chastise was remembered as one of the most prominent air raids of the war for the psychological damage it did and for what the spin that they put on had on the morale of Germany plus for its unique method of attack. You know, it was really unlike anything else that ever happened before. Like I've played a game called bomber crew, which is this little like strategy game and they have bouncing bomb missions in the game. And I always just kind of assumed that was like, you know, a cool like video gamey thing they had come up with, but this mission clearly has had like an impact on our pop culture because this is something that's like in this game that I have on my switch, which is like, it was really cool to see like that connection, you know? And that's, uh, this is kind of an example of like the crazy ingenuity from world war two and like how specific their engineering was to tackle the problems that they were facing. Man, that's pretty crazy. I, I have never heard of this. And I, you know, if there's any aspect of history that I want to learn more about, it is honestly World War II. I mean, wars are fascinating. Um, I don't know if I romanticize them as much as you do, because I I don't ever want to be engaged in a world war. But I, I will say oh, God, no. that wars... I don't rom- romanticize it. I like learning about it because okay. it's fascinating. Do I think I would fare well in a war? No, probably not. I, you know, it's... That was something I feared when I was younger was being drafted into a war. But 
I do like learning about it. You know, I think it's very fascinating to learn about the missions and the technology. Okay, so what about uh, what about a zombie war? Oh my God, Brett, that's a whole nother game. <laughs> See, I knew. I, I think I'd probably chop off my left arm for a zombie war. <laughs> Let a zombie chew it off so that you could participate in a zombie war, huh? Well, I don't want to be on the uh, the Axis team. I want to be on the Allies. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. I've never heard of this bouncing bomb before. Yeah, it's really incredible. I'll uh, I'll share some some uh facebook video you guys have to maybe create facebook accounts if you're all hip and cool and don't use facebook anymore but you know it's just world war ii it's amazing to me like i said like how they would engineer these very specific solutions to these very specific problems and from that came all of this like just this amazing technology threads that you can trace all the way back you know from our era all the way back to world war ii like all these progressions in aviation and weapons technology and and textiles just all this stuff that affects everyone's life and you know had had roots in world war ii and the fact that they needed to evolve their technology to face this global threat and i just think that's like one of the most amazing things you know it's terrible that 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 the war happened you know it's like one of the greatest crises that the modern era of humans has ever faced, but it did have these like great ramifications on the world that we live in today. And I, I think that is so fascinating. Well, I will say one thing. Um, I had a professor in college. He was an aviation history professor and he talked about three things that always progressed aviation forward. Uh, one was prizes. One was competition but the number one, of course, was war. And if you look at just like the development of aviation, I mean, it pretty much it wasn't much different between like the Wright brothers. I think it was in 1903 when they first flew to uh, World War One. But then you look at just a few decades later, you look at World War Two compared to World War One. And I mean, it's just like <laughs> it's not the same thing. These were different beasts. I mean, it, World War II really was uh, a war fought in the skies. And, you know, that what you brought today is definitely a perfect example of that. It's it's crazy stuff. Absolutely insane. So, Brett, it sounds like you need some more World War II content in your life. I guess and so. Speaking of content, <laughs> what's on your content circuit right now? Well, let's see. I've got a highbrow show. I've got a lowbrow show, and then I, get, I have an interesting game that I want to share with you. Uh, so, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, highbrow, the third day is a recommendation Bree and I got, and it is an HBO uh, sort of a suspense thriller. It is very interesting. I'm a few episodes in. It is definitely dark. Uh, you don't really know what's happening, and I think that's extremely intentional. It's has a has a very cultish vibe. Uh, Jude Law's in it as well, so I'm I'm art. so hot, <laughs> such a dreamboat. I know uh, my low my lowbrow show, The Bachelorette. You know I love these shows. <laughs> God, why, Brett? Because uh, I mean, I, I dude, I can't stop watching. This is truly they. Chris always says this, but it really is the most dramatic season of The Bachelorette yet. <laughs> 
This is the forged in fire of dating. <laughs> oh man, I just like I love watching the train wreck of you know, and there's like there's some great people on this show. Like there are, you know, I like there's genuine, like, you know, amazingly like successful and well put together and of course attractive humans that are just like trying to find love in the weirdest and most public way possible. But then you just get these like psychopaths or oddballs or misfits and they just throw a wrench into the mix and it just it it makes for great TV. I I, I mean it's it's nothing that would ever be covered on the content clearinghouse, of course, but it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Very guilty. <laughs> Guilty is charged. Uh, so finally, the game. So this is a good one. This this actually is uh, music, but hey, that's content. So I'm gonna throw it out there. So Bree has been uh, playing this like game as she drives, and I I don't know. This is this seems kind of in, uh, in, uh, genius to me, and I'm surprised I haven't thought of something like this. But uh, she just shuffles all of her songs on her phone. I mean, it's like thousands of songs, and then if she likes it. She adds it to a playlist, or if she, I mean, if she really likes it. So she has Breeze mix, and then she's got Breeze chill out mix. And then I think she has like a holiday mix or something. But if she really likes it, it goes on her Breeze mix. If she likes it and could study to it, it goes on Breeze chill mix. If it's just okay and she like wants to keep it, then she keeps it. But if she doesn't like it, she deletes it. So the genius of this is she is whittling down all her just copious amounts of like music she's accumulated over years of suggestions and friends and downloads and whatever. So she's whittling, whittling that down, but also growing out her like favorite songs type, type of thing. I don't know. It's just seems like a really streamlined and it's kind of fun. Like, you know, we have a really long drive between Natarita and Centennial. It's seven hours in the car. So it's kind of a fun in a way to like revisit old music and rediscover music you used to like and also delete uh horrible music that somehow ended up, it's like the bachelorette of music horrible music is the uh josh's acquaintances on facebook of <laughs> of entertainment just delete it all and i gotta i gotta tell you breeze mix sounds like a chick cereal based treat yeah breeze mix <laughs> I actually have approached my musical playlist from the opposite direction where I've like very carefully curated each song that goes into my best thing ever playlist. So if if there's a song that's like like an earworm, I can't get it out of my head, I'll move it into this very specific playlist and everything else is either not downloaded in the first place or like deleted if it didn't make that cut. So my playlist does have like it's not thousands of songs. It's probably several hundreds of songs, but they're all songs like from the last 15 years or so that I've like very specifically curated into this list. So every single one of them I like. Yeah, that's a, it's a good way to start. I mean, I, you know, I feel like part of the problem is like she, you know, I'm sure all of the music on her phone, like my phone at one point, I like added it to my library or downloaded it with the best of intentions. Cause I maybe really liked it at the time. But, like, Brie does not listen to Britney Spears anymore. Like, she has music from when she was, like, a teenager, you know? So it's, like, time to do the the big uh, the big evaluation, I guess you could call it. So 
Well, I lucked out and had uh, several hundred songs just deleted randomly from my iTunes account at one point. So thanks, Apple. <laughs> but what that did do was made it a lot easier for me to pare down my selections. Always good when things work out, you know. It's great. Yeah, it's silver lining. <laughs> well, what's what else is on your uh, your uh, your content circuit? I just started watching. Actually, I just finished this season of American Horror Story. Ooh. It's uh, American Horror Story 1984. It's basically like a slasher. So each season of American Horror Story, and I'm not sure if you've watched it, but every season is a... Uh, it's these very convoluted horror, like 10 to 12 episode long stories, American Horror Story, and they, uh, they have like the same cast of characters or the same actors, and they, you know they'll slot them in to, uh, to whatever the theme is. You know, like one theme was like a haunted house. One theme was like the carnival, but this theme is 80s slasher, like at a camp. And it starts off as like a very self-aware slasher. Like it, it buys into like every single eighties horror trope, but then the stories always take this like really crazy, distinctively American horror story turn. Like they, they, end up having like ghosts and like purgatory and all this crazy stuff that seems like in a normal, you know, a two hour movie, it all seemed very tacked on, but they do a really good job of like earning all these additional elements because they have so much time to explore it. And that is, you know, that's, I would highly recommend that season specifically. I think it's season nine and some of the seasons are kind of garbage, but that one is like, if you've never watched the show before, it's a great place to pick up. You know, it's 10 episodes, so you can kind of burn through it in a week or so if you're into binging. American Horror Story Season 9, I'll have to check that out. I, I have uh, a, quite a few friends, actually, that have recommended American Horror Story to me before. And I don't know, I just never, I've dabbled in it a little bit, and I do like horror sometimes. I just, I you know, I have to be in the mood for it. But uh, that sounds really good. I'll definitely check. It gets really gory, but it's also like I started to notice most of like the really good horror has, even if it's like very dark, it has like these comedic elements. There are times that I was definitely just like laughing, like I just couldn't believe what they had written. It's just like so clever and so funny, and just like poking fun at all these '80s tropes. It was right up my alley. Well, dark comedy, that is, uh, I think that's going to be the topic of the evening. So I'm glad you broke the seal on that. Perfect. Well, uh, let's take a quick break and then come back and we'll get into the content. content? Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse, Brett. All right, lay some dark comedy on me, buddy. All right, well, you're tuned into CCH News. I'm Brett, your content meteorologist. And as you can see right here, it looks like sunshine is in the forecast all day. And in fact, every day in Philadelphia, because today I am talking about the American sitcom, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, man, I bet that makes the weatherman's job so easy out there. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I, uh, thought I'd, since we were getting into some, some weather uh content on last week's off top i thought i'd kind of play around a little bit with a weather bit 
Well, if you worked there in your dream weatherman job, you'd be out of a job, Brett. <laughs> you'd be on unemployment right now. Well, that's not too far from the truth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be just like your life now. Just, just like it, but a little different, but the same. Uh, so despite the inherent luminosity in the name of the show, this is actually a v- extremely dark show, but it's also extremely funny. Uh, so just like things that you like, dark and hilarious. Now, I think... It sounds like it's also <laughs> ironic, which I'm also into. Yes, definitely plays with satire effectively. Um, I do have to tell you before we get yeah. going, this is one that has like somehow gotten past me it's been recommended to me by so many people and i've just never put the time into watching it well maybe i can change that and convince you to check it out uh i think you will and i think now is a good time to watch a show like this i mean when things are difficult uh like they are right now i I mean i think it's important to remember that dark and funny go together i mean we can simultaneously be in pain and in mourning, but we can also laugh, and we should laugh, and we should find humor, and both of those states of being can exist. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to cover this today. There's, I definitely wanted to talk about a show. It was, it was kind of between two shows, but this, this is the dark and the funny. Uh, so two sides of the same coin, exactly. At so at first glance. You might think Always Sunny is just another sitcom like Friends or Frasier. You have your traditional setup of an ensemble of pals who gather in an Irish pub and hijinks ensue. Well, if Rachel huffed paint and ate trash, Ross was a narcissistic (laughs) psychopath, Phoebe had body dysmorphia and other crippling psychological issues, Monica was physically violent, and Chandler used a poop knife to get his big turds to flush. Well, now you're getting warmer to the plot of one of my absolute favorite television oh. series ever created. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> this is some really good parallels you just drew. I, I actually had a lot of fun writing that. That's pretty great. Uh, and really, I'm not alone in my praise, as you already have mentioned from all your all your friends that have recommended this show to you that you haven't listened to. Uh among sorry everyone i know and love <laughs> so among the mountain of critical acclaim this show has received emily nussbaum from the new yorker called always sunny not merely the best sitcom on television but one of the most arresting and ambitious current tv series period and you know it's serious when they add period at the end of the sentence and then another period to make it oh she wrote correct. period yeah the word wow yeah <laughs> Trying to up that that uh, word count in the article. That's right. She's paid by the word. Uh, <laughs> Gotta hit those minimums, people. So in 2014, Entertainment Weekly included the show in their list of the best cult TV shows ever. And in more, more recently, in 2019, the BBC called the show the best U.S. sitcom and praised the show's unique outlook and ability to range from nihilistic humor to genuine heartfelt moments. Now, heartfelt was not an adjective that uh, I personally would use. Um, So before you start watching Always Sunny, Josh, looking for something heartfelt, I'm going to... You know me. (laughs) You're always looking for those heartfelt American Horror Story episodes. That's my favorite. So I'm going to share with you my absolute favorite excerpt from the 
reception and legacy section of the It's Always Sunny Wikipedia page. The Philadelphia Inquirer reviewer Jonathan Storm wrote, It's like Seinfeld on crack. <laughs> Very 90s reference. <laughs> I, crack was popular in the 90s, wasn't it? And Seinfeld. <laughs> That's also true. Uh, This quote became widely used to describe the series to the point that FX attached the tagline, it's Seinfeld on crack. Oh, nice. Oh, it's on FX, huh? (laughs) Uh, Because American Horror Story is also on FX, and man, they don't pull any punches in that show, so I can only imagine what FX is doing with comedy. This is the only place a show like this could exist except, you know, pre-internet, basically, like pre you know, internet streaming services. I mean, this show premiered in 2005. So, yeah, um, kind of before like what we have today, this smorgasbord of Prime Video and Netflix and all all sorts of things. But um, before I talk about the premise a little bit, I mean, Seinfeld on crack is really the best three-word descriptor I can imagine. And I know you haven't watched um, Always Sunny yet, but have you seen much Seinfeld? Are you a Seinfeld fan? Eh, I mean, I was at least aware of it, and I'm I've watched a bit of it, but it was never something that I, like I really searched out whenever I was younger. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I you know I just feel like it was a little bit the generation before us, but just for a refresher because I you know it was groundbreaking television. It is a great show. I do enjoy it, but Seinfeld uh, is often described as being a show about nothing. I mean, the vast majority of its episodes are about the minutiae of daily life, but the real genius behind Seinfeld's popularity and the thing that sets it apart is that it is not a show about a bunch of good people. It is a show with the characters that are narcissistic, they're neurotic, they're unpleasant, and something about that makes it more realistic and more relatable and more funny. That is very funny concept, but but before you go on, also give us a refresher on what crack does, Brett. <laughs> I have no idea. I've <laughs> never never done the stuff. <laughs> well, that's good to know. All right, glad glad we got that clarified. Uh, so it's always it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It takes that nugget of an idea and then it turns it up to like eleven thousand. Uh, the DV- so the show about nothing up to 11,000. Well, really the show about unpleasant characters, about nar- narcissists, yeah, narcissists mm. neurotics. So the deviance, the selfishness, the shamelessness of these characters in Always Sunny, they're so over the top. They're so irredeemable that any other guest star <laughs> oh, or man. character or even just the surrounding environment in the show becomes the quote unquote straight man or straight woman. So everyone that comes into their lives is better than them as far as being a decent human being? Absolutely. And uh, so you know how you talk about Jason Bateman a lot because you just love his, like, he's always the straight man. Like, he's always the representation of normalcy. Um, And his shows, I mean, Arrested Development, Ozark, like, the world around him can be um, absurd or chaotic, whatever. In Always Sunny... The world around the group of misfit friends, um, it, they're the everyone else is Jason Bateman. We, by extension, just the audience, we become Jason Bateman 
So the comedy oh, that's really interesting. comes out of these deeply flawed characters. And it's like the friction amongst themselves and the friction of this group or this gang with literally everything around them. Everything they come in contact with, they destroy. <laughs> oh, man. That's an awesome concept. It really I is. I like that explanation of like even the audience being the straight man. For sure. By extension, just because they're so bad. For sure. Josh, I, I've i never done crack, but I've done a lot of bad things in my life. This show, watching it, it makes me feel like I'm a saint. <laughs> I'm an angel. <laughs> You're pretty angelic with that weatherman hairdo. <laughs> yeah. With the sun dog behind me, floating yes. over my head. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so these characters, uh, the group of them is referred to as the gang, and they consist of Charlie, Dennis, Frank, Sweet D, and Mac. Now, before I get into some of the dark, taboo topics that this show explores, I am going to once again remind you, this is considered both a black comedy and a cringe comedy, and we've talked about it. I mean, dark subject matter and comedy go together like skydiving and parachutes. Uh, <laughs> That's a terrible. That's a. It's a pretty lame metaphor. Uh, well, I mean, I think you jelly. can do comedy without darkness. You can. So it's a pretty bad that's, metaphor. That is it. That's, you can only skydive once without a parachute. <laughs> that is actually very. That is true, and that is dark comedy that you just did. Uh, <clears throat> so. Uh, A little background, literary critics have associated black comedy with authors as early as the ancient Greeks with Aristophanes. The term itself, black comedy, goes back to 1935. Uh, A surrealist theorist, which is only slightly more real than a contentologist, named Andre (laughs) Breton. Hey, it's a real thing. It is a real thing. Uh, Breton coined... degrees. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Breton coined the term black humor from the French humor noir so Breton was interpreting the writings of jonathan swift and identified some of swift's writings as a sub-genre of comedy and satire in which laughter arises from cynicism and skepticism often relying on topics such as death and speaking of death and comedy i was looking into the history of black comedy and i found some interesting things on gallows humor which is a more specific sub-genre to be used in relation in particular, to death. So, and I know you're going to have a lot to say on this, and I'm curious to get your thoughts, but it probably comes as no surprise to you that emergency service workers are known for using black comedy and gallows humor. Graham Wetton, a retired police officer who wrote the book How to Be a Police Officer, uh, noted the presence of black comedy in the police force. He described it as often not the, the type of humor that can be understood outside policing or the other emergency services. And uh, my favorite story that I read about online comes from a Massachusetts firefighter who was reprimanded for a response to a call about a cat stuck in a tree. The firefighter told the caller that the cat would probably make its way on down by itself and joked that he had never seen a cat skeleton in a tree before. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that's awesome that's so funny i just knocked a bunch of stuff over <laughs> on my desk i mean it's that's like like that dude if if he wanted to not work as a firefighter anymore he could probably be a stand-up comic that's some that's some funny He's, shit 
He's already got that one joke to build a whole 15-minute act off of. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, an, an opinion article in Fire Chief magazine said that these kinds of jokes were common in the fire service but would be inappropriate to share with a concerned member of the public. No shit. Uh, so seeing as how you love skydiving, despite the fact that you've lost several friends in the sport, but you also love to laugh, I'm sure you have some thoughts about this type of dark humor from the perspective of an of a, of a experienced, I mean, world record holding champion skydiver. I mean, you've been in the sport a long time, and I know this kind of dark humor, gallows humor comes up. So, yeah, in skydiving, it kind of depends on who you're dealing with. Some people are very sensitive, and, and I think anyone that's been in the sport for long enough has probably lost somebody, like you said. And I don't know. I mean, there are some really sarcastic, hilarious people, but there's also people that, like, you would never hear a joke like this out of them because they want to almost, like, block out the fact that that's an element in skydiving. But mm, I do have one. There's something that comes to to mind. Um, this is from this is something my friend Brady used to say all the time. And Brady, he actually he died in a skydiving accident, which was you know a, a huge tragedy. But a joke that he always used to make was when we lived together and we both worked together at the drop zone and be like, "Hey, Brady." What time do you want to go in tomorrow? And he'd look at me and say, hopefully I don't go in tomorrow, oh, but uh, we should go to work at like 830. And if you're not skydiver, going in is like a colloquialism for burning in without opening your parachute. That was something that, like he would say it all the time. And it at home, I would just say, hey, what time do you want to go in? Because that's a thing you say about going to work. And like, boom, he would hit me with that every time. It always made me laugh because it was like a very... <laughs> it's, it's like the very definition of gallows humor yeah, in skydiving definitely because it's you know it's referencing the absolute last thing you ever want to have happen and it's a way that like it definitely puts like a comedic spin on it and it makes you laugh and it also like kind of takes away some of the power of you know those worst fears that you would have in skydiving and i imagine this is the same reason that you know emergency service workers and police officers and uh, ER doctors and all these people that deal with this deadly stuff on a daily basis, you know, since humans are so psychological and so mentally driven and we have the ability to, you know, um, remember the past and imagine the future, we're of course obsessed with our own mortality and the the weakness that comes from being mortal and being able to be killed by thousands of things every day. And so I think that like joking about this stuff is a way to disempower, you know, that the mythical concept of death. And when you have to look at that every day and, you know, right in the face, it, it gives you like a shielding and a way to like armor yourself so you can actually go about your job and do these crazy things. That's well said, Josh. Honestly, I like, I have kind of wondered where the, because I, I've, I like things like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like I like dark comedy. Uh, I find, I find it really refreshing to, I don't know. I think to expand on kind of your point, I think there's these taboo subjects that 
we give it more power when we don't talk about it and it becomes scarier and it becomes, you know, more, more difficult to think about, more difficult to discuss. And so using humor, we, it, it kind of allows us to like cross that line or to shine a light on these things. And like you said, when, when we light it up, when we talk about it, when we get it out in the open, it, it does take away a bit of that power. And, and yeah, I think that's exactly why it's important to find humor in this. And uh, have you heard of Gallo's speeches? Uh, not specifically, but... So this is really interesting. Seems- yeah, I'm going to share a link to a list of these. I mean, it's basically these like humorous last words and final statements. I mean, there's multiple recorded instances of these. Um, the quintessential example comes from author Oscar Wilde. He's a playwright as well. He was living in this cheap boarding house. He was completely destitute when he was on his deathbed. And there's variations of what his exact phrasing was, but basically his last words were either that wallpaper goes or I do <laughs> like funny right up to the end. Um, very, he had his, he had his standards. Yes. He would not deviate from the, uh, legend of St. Lawrence. This is, uh, very well known. So St. Lawrence was executed, uh, by the prefect of Rome, I believe. So he was executed by being placed on a giant gridiron prepared with hot coals beneath it. And the- <laughs> terrible forged in fire. Yeah. <laughs> forged in fire. This joke is forged in fire. Wait for this. So the legend goes that the martyr had suffered horrible pain for a long period of time. And then he cheerfully declared, I'm well done. Turn me over. And from that moment, St. <laughs> Lawrence derived his patronage of cooks, chefs, and comedians. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, that is awesome. Dude, I, Gallo speeches. It's a thing. Uh, I'm going to link to it. It's the kind of thing that I probably first heard about on like a cracked article, like, you know, the top seven funniest things people said on their deathbed, <laughs> kind of, you know, clickbait. But it's true. I mean, it's, I think last podcast r- has also done like some like craziest last words or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a thing. It is a thing. So back to the content. So these five misfits, Dennis, D, Charlie, Mac, and Frank, they run an unsuccessful Irish bar in South Philly known as Patty's Pub. And the show revolves around different scenarios and schemes in which one of them, some of them, all of them um, display just horrible behavior. They frequently inflict mental, emotional, and physical pain on each other and anyone who crosses their path. They're often conspiring against one another and others for literally any reason. It could be something petty. It could be to get revenge. It's sometimes they're like an inept joker. Like they just want to be entertained. They just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> but they're just inept, oh, unlike man. the Joker. Um, they're. Qu- I don't know which uh-huh. is worse, an inept yeah. Joker or the Joker. Those both seem like they could be really bad. I I think the Joker could be worse because Probably. nothing in the Dark Knight is funny. And everything in Always Sunny is funny. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. Um, They're quick to use blackmail and manipulation among outsiders or among themselves. Their own unity is never solid. And they'll quickly dump others in the gang for profit, regardless of the consequences. But ultimately, they return to their usual group dynamic due to their toxic 
codependency. Everything they do, Josh, just results in yelling at each other, contention, friction. I I mean, it always devolves into like some sort of like argument. Uh, And despite their lack of success or achievements, they maintain high opinions of themselves and display an obsessive interest (laughs) in their reputations and public images. Of course, that's Narcissist 101. Absolutely. So I pulled this directly from Wikipedia because there is no way I could come up with such a complete list of all the extremely controversial scenarios that are explored on the show. And somehow, through the incredible writing and incredible acting, they make these topics hilarious. So here we go. I hope you're ready for this. The... I'm ready. The gang has no sense of shame when attempting to get what they want and often engage in activities that others would find humiliating, disgusting, or shocking. Some of these situations include becoming addicted to crack cocaine and pretending to be mentally challenged in order to qualify for welfare, (laughs) attempted cannibalism, kidnapping, blackface, hiding naked inside a couch in order to eavesdrop on people, tricking a man into giving his daughter a lap dance, forcing each other to eat inedible items, huffing paint, Forging naked in the sewers for rings and coins, sleeping with each other's romantic (laughs) interests, seducing a priest, secretly feeding someone their dead pet, plugging their open wounds with trash, grave robbing, setting a room full of people on fire and locking the door to avoid an uncomfortable Thanksgiving meal, (laughs) stalking their crushes, (laughs) fantasizing about killing each other, taking out a life insurance, uh, taking out life insurance on a suicidal person, orally siphoning gasoline and pretending to have AIDS in order to get priority access to water park rides among many other scenarios (laughs) (laughs) plugging their wounds with trash dude this show is unbelievable it's so nasty and if i were to read you that list first before you found out this was a comedy you would never guess i was talking about one of the funniest shows ever I could totally see almost every one of those things being hilarious yeah if it's done correctly otherwise it's just offensive but I'm obsessed with war, so... That's true. This is right up your alley. You're going to love this. I'm definitely going to have to watch this. Yeah. Well, there's there really are three types of content consumers when it comes to shows like this, in my opinion. So you've either seen this show, or you've either... you Either you haven't seen this show, uh, like you. You have seen this show, and you're just not into it, because you're not into war like you are or you're like me and you're absolutely obsessed with this show and think it is the greatest series on television and i'm i'm thinking you're going to be the latter once you see this you are going to be hooked and i've honestly never met anybody that thinks this show is just okay i mean it is truly a cult hit the people that who like it they love it they are diehard fans but it's polarizing. It is pol exactly. It is extremely polarizing. It sounds if great. It. it sounds great. It is great. Um, and uh, I'm not alone in my love. Uh, the series was renewed for a 15th season in May 2020. Wow. And this will make it the longest running live action comedy series in American television history. Damn, that's awesome. It is clearly got some magic it does it does have some magic um and i actually spent a lot of time thinking about how exactly 
they tackled all these dark subject matters and still managed to be hilarious and original. I mean, what was the magic? Uh, of course, great acting, great writing, but lots of shows have great actors and great writers. So to conclude, I'm going to share my thoughts on a little bit about what I know behind the scenes and why those things elevate Always Sunny to the next level. So my theory kind of encompasses two elements here. So number one, I think one of the secret sauces of Always Sunny comes from the chemistry of the cast. Now, this is genuinely a tight-knit group of people. They're like Krubaugh friends. I mean, they... It really sounds like the worst crewbot ever. <laughs> well, but I'm talking I'm talking real life here now behind the scenes. I mean, these people clearly enjoy the shit out of making this show together. And in fact, they're actually all kind of married to each other in real life. So, let me explain. In season 5, episode 10, uh Dennis, the selfish hypersexual psychopath, demonstrates his Dennis system. D-E-N-N-I-S, for (laughs) seduction on a pharmacist named Kaylee. And I sent you that clip. I'm going to post a link to this clip. Um, It is hilarious. It is a garbage quality clip because I'm sure it'll get yanked off of YouTube if it's like anything better than 360 whatever, DP. Uh, So the dentist system, demonstrate value, engage physically, nurture dependence, (laughs) neglect emotionally, inspire hope, and then separate entirely. Uh, It is like the... And like most acronyms, so easy to remember. (laughs) It is like the darkest TED Talk ever on how not to have a relationship. But It's a a great reverse engineered acronym. It is, for sure. So like our joke about reverse engineered acronyms, about how they're always like, they almost have nothing to do with what they're actually talking about. They're always like shoehorned in to work. I feel like his dentist system is like a joke on that subject because it's like each one of those things is like a sentence. Totally. You know, it's like barely even an acronym. Totally. So Absolutely. That is, I was like sold on that clip immediately because I thought that was hilarious. And then when you start talking like guys, this guy is such a sociopath. Total. Well, and it's hilarious. That's the best part about it too. It's like, of course it would be his name. Like he is, yeah. He is like super narcissistic. He's been sculpted. His his nose has been chiseled from the Greek gods, um, like your hair. <laughs> so Dennis is played by Glenn Howerton, and he has actually already been married. Uh, he was already married to Jill Latiana, who guest starred as Kaylee for months before they shot that. Um, so switching characters here, Charlie played by Charlie Kelly. You might know him from Pacific Rim as the scientist who mind melds with the kaiju. I do love him. He is fantastic. Uh, So he has this unhealthy obsession with the waitress. That's kind of the character's name. And stalking this waitress, this waitress of a cafe. It's kind of this ongoing joke in the show. Uh, Charlie is probably my favorite character on the show. I mean, he's kind of the only one that has some excuse for being awful he is unable to properly read or write he huffs glue and paint (laughs) you know he lives in squalor (laughs) he eats cat food and i mean he just generally is lacking in intelligence uh and he's so lovable as a human also he really is he's a great real life human being uh so the real life charlie day and mary elizabeth ellis have been a happy couple since 2001 
They even appeared together on an episode of Reno 911 as incestuous twins. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, another great show. <laughs> it is a great comedy. I, I haven't seen that episode that they are on, but I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, but they they have a healthy relationship plus a son, and they talk about their dysfunctional roles on Always Sunny as, quote-unquote, good therapy. <laughs> and she plays the waitress? Yes. Yep, his real-life oh, wife plays that the waitress. That is awesome. And then finally... The stalking victim? Yeah, the... the the stocky uh and finally caitlin olsen and rob mickelhenny are a happily married couple now caitlin olsen plays sweet d and she is honestly one of the best actors i have ever seen she is absolutely hilarious and believable in this show it's unbelievable so rob mickelhenny not only plays Mac, he's also really the creator and the writer for this show. He's the executive producer. He's the uh, the showrunner. Do you know what a showrunner is? This is a term I learned recently. I know about it from Walking Dead. Okay. And the uh, the way the show has gone in waves of being good or bad based on who the showrunner is yeah. at the time. Yeah, exactly. So um, a good example of this, going back to Seinfeld, you know, Larry David was the showrunner and it's like somebody that's just making sure the show uh gets made i mean they're they're always they're involved in the writing process they're always on set they're involved in casting um so just like you know how did larry david make hundreds of millions of dollars from seinfeld he wasn't even a star in it well he did everything and so that's what rob mcelhenny is uh for always kind of control the show bible like the behind the scenes lore of the of the show making sure that everything matches up totally and, uh the timeline making sure there's no conflicts about anything that's ever happened previously like that's pretty much it's like the overall director of the entire series Ex- correct exactly yep i couldn't have said it better myself so like so even though he plays a very different character than what he is in real life like rob mickelhenny I mean, he is happily married to Caitlin Olsen. Uh, they started dating at some point during the second season, I believe. They fell madly in love. They got married in 2008. They have this awesome relationship. And so these these people all love doing this show together. And I think it really shows because they bring some like light-hearted energy and chemistry into these like, you know, really really like dark subject matter uh, taboo subjects. Uh, but the number two, the second reason uh, I think this show is just on another level is Rob Mickelhenny. So not only have I mentioned that he is the showrunner, I mean, he's the guy that's making sure everything is is happening. Um, the, his dedication to comedy is like Christian Bale's dedication to actor, acting. So I want to share a story with you that I heard on the podcast Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. It's a great podcast. I'm going to link to this particular episode where he um, interviews Rob Mickelhenny. And you have to listen to this to get the full story. Because I mean, if you're a, if you're a fan of Always Sunny, this is absolutely unbelievable to hear the behind the scenes of it. And I mean, it really shows like his, his dedication to just making a joke. So in season seven, we're introduced to Fat Mac. Um, So the character, you know, clearly gets heavy and it's kind of like this ongoing joke on the show. Well, behind the scenes, Rob talked about 
how Always Sunny is the anti-sitcom. So he noticed in watching shows like Friends that as these actors got famous and as they got rich and they could afford to get a trainer, I mean, they got better looking, they got in better shape, they got stylists. He said they even had better teeth. So he kind of wanted to do the opposite of that. He pitched to the whole cast of you know, his wife and all his friends that they, sh- <laughs> they should all get fat for the seventh season. He just thought it'd be funny. And all of them were like, uh, no. And then he's like, okay, well, can I do it? Can I get fat? And they were like, uh, I guess, man, whatever. You do you kind of thing. So oh, man. he went... He went, and I'm probably going to get a few things wrong in this story. I urge you to go listen to it. But he went to, he got a nutritionist, and they like wouldn't even work with him on this. They were like, well, actually, so he, his nutritionist first gave him like this caloric diet of like, okay, you're going to have to have like three grilled chicken breasts and, you know, four cups of rice, blah, blah, blah. And he just like couldn't stomach it. He couldn't eat it. So it wasn't really working out for him. So he went to his doctor and kind of explained the idea. And he said, he told the doctor, he's like, okay, I want to get fat. I want to put on a bunch of weight. <laughs> and his, his doctor goes against the Hippocratic oath, but all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So his doctor was like, uh, first of all, this is not funny. Uh, this is, <laughs> this is, re- <laughs> make the difference. This is really Seems serious. Hilarious. But, but Rob McElhaney was like, I'm going to do this so you can like help me do it somewhat safely. You can like help monitor me or not. And he's like, okay, so. What so what he did because this like nutritionist diet thing wasn't working out. Uh, the doctor was like, you could eat all that, or you could eat like two Big Macs. So he would start his morning. He would eat four. Ugh. He would eat four donuts from uh, Krispy Kreme. I think it was every every morning. He would eat two Big Macs. At one point, he talked about drinking ice cream he would take out like a pint of ice cream and just he would let it sit on the counter until it was just like (laughs) and he would just drink it so this was going on for months and nothing was really happening uh and like all the writers were like dude like we're writing to this like are you gonna get fat like we're like and he's like "I'm, i'm trying i'm trying so his doctor was like this metabolism of mine. <laughs> so his doctor was like, okay, like if you get to a flight of stairs, go very slowly. Like you cannot let your heart rate get up. Like, uh, and then so, wow. so the key was that he found out was cottage cheese. He read something that like Ugh, the worst gross. thing to do because cottage cheese is metabolized really slowly by your body. So the worst thing to do is t- if if you don't want to get fat is to eat cottage cheese right before you go to bed because it metabolizes. So he started eating just a bunch of cottage cheese right before he went to bed. And he said he blew up in like a week. Wow. So he, he went from life hack, (laughs) life hack. That's an unethical life pro tip right there. (laughs) So he went from, 160 pounds to 220 pounds in a matter of months. He gained Whoa. 60 pounds just for a joke for season seven of seven of it's always uh, it's always was this for the sorry. whole season or yes he was fat for the whole season he was fat for the whole season it was like kind of this spoiler r- alert or this running <laughs> this running joke uh, one of my favorite lines from him during the season was he he would always just like he was clearly had like body dysmorphia 
or in just the whole series. But he would like say things like, I'm cultivating mass. He said that all the time. And then at one point, Dennis, the psychopath, who's just like obsessed with vanity, who would just call him disgusting all the time, responded with, you know, stop saying that. Stop cultivating masks. Start harvesting. <laughs> um, so apparently his his body like, were, you know, it, it handled it okay. I guess he did end up having a, a fatty liver. Now to take things to like the opposite extreme for season eight, he, he wanted to do the basically the opposite thing, but out of the same idea of a joke. So he noticed that in movies and in TV shows, whenever he saw like a character that would just get like two minutes of screen time and have, you know, some kind of shirtless scene or some sex scene, that like this character that it didn't make sense for them to be ripped. They had like six pack abs, perfect body. And so he realized just this person's obviously drank no water today. <laughs> right. So, I mean, he just, he realized that like it, it's Hollywood. And so these actors would get, you know, a small part on like a movie or a TV show. And so they would just get a trainer and they'd work out for months so that they just looked amazing, but he just hated it. And he saw this a lot, but it's, he just couldn't stand it because it's like the chicken delivery boy or like the Pizza Hut guy that just has like a perfect body. So he decided that he wanted to get Brad Pitt from Fight Club's body. He he hired the best trainer. That is ripped. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like cheese grater ripped. <laughs> Honestly, this is a great episode of Armchair Expert and like... It's so funny to me because Dax Shepard is like obsessed with the male physique and it's it's really interesting. Their like discussion on this, like they both realize it's like unhealthy and just ridiculous, but it's also, I, I, I don't know, I think every guy can kind of relate to just like having some weird masculine body issues. Like I, like when when a guy works out, it's other guys that like point it out. It's never women that are like, oh, look at that guy's mu-. It's always like, oh man, you've been working out, huh? Looking good, dude. The girls are probably like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. gross. Exactly. We don't like this. Exactly. Ooh, Chris Hemsworth is not attractive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> so um, he. Just trying to make myself feel better. Yeah, exactly. So he. He worked out for he got like the the best trainer in Hollywood. He's running three miles a day. He was eating perfect, you know, no no uh, fat, no sugar, no carbs, whatever. And like he had this the, his the other nightmare end of the scale. It, it was like the doctor was like, you know, this isn't like that much better. Like this is still like just transforming your body like this is unhealthy. Like I need to monitor your heart and anyway. So um, it took him six months of this and all wow. of this was for this like two minute shirtless scene and the whole season he was like <laughs> shirtless so much dedication for like two minutes and he like built the joke into the show where he's like hey guys like look i've been working out i got this body and they're like uh you know what like why did you do that that's stupid and he's like ah you know i thought we could use this and it's like, we can't do anything with that. But, oh, but Brad Pitt. And they're all kind of looking at him like, but but dude, your face. Like you, 
you know, you you don't have Brad Pitt's face though. And like, he's just kind of defeated and like puts on his shirt and then it never like is brought up again for the whole rest of the season. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Dude. That is deep and long running. It is. It's, it's like two years of work. It, dude, he like, he worked out to look like he was like a Marvel star or something like it is. And all of this is just to like be funny and i feel like the joke is like lost on probably most of the audience even like this is definitely like a joke for comedians you know what i mean yeah like people and a joke for hollywood yeah like, joke understanding for hollywood. totally not just not just like how we understand like oh but that was hard but like this is like specifically aimed at christian bale <laughs> right <laughs> they did talk about i bet he christian thought this bale. was hilarious Oh, dude, for sure. But like, it, it's interesting because they kind of talked about the tra- the transformation of like how he kind of became the butt of his own joke. Because like Charlie, his co star, at one point asked him, like, "Dude, are you really doing this like for the for as a joke, or do you just want to look like this?" And then by the end of the season, he's like, "I'm not really sure anymore. <laughs> like, he didn't even know." But it and is- I bet it's almost impossible to maintain too. It's like. It's like probably two additional full-time jobs to maintain that body. I mean, having having a physique like that absolutely takes dedication. And like that's, I mean, that's why the joke is so good. Like all these like weird random characters in, you know, especially the gang in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like these are guys that like are always drinking beer None of them are working out. You know, they're all like... Would never look this way. <laughs> There's like tremendous stress in every episode because they're just like, their lives are out of control. None of them would have this physique. And so he's like poking fun at that. But uh, yeah, man. Can you imagine how relieved Chris Hemsworth is going to be when he <laughs> finally is let go from the Marvel Universe? It's like, oh God, I can finally relax and play video games and just grow the gut I've always wanted. <laughs> Do you think he's going to become... The fat Thor that he's meant to be. <laughs> oh man, God, I hope so. Because that really was like such a great. That was a great joke arc for sure. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and I don't feel like it was like disrespecting. Like I thought it was actually really cool that he, you know, realized his self worth had like nothing to do with, uh, I don't know his his other powers and everything. I don't know if you kind of remember like his, his story arc because he, he did in that movie find out once again that he was worthy and he had like kind of felt the whole movie. He wasn't worthy. And then he didn't magically change his physique back. Like with the battle with Thanos, like one of the man people that are not into the Marvel universe and think that it's like shallow it's just, I can't understand it. It's, it's clearly people that think of those movies in just like a comic booky kind of like nerdy way are people that really haven't watched them. Like one of the most inspirational things I think I've ever heard came from Thor Ragnarok where he is, you know, he's like talking to his dad and he's like talking about how he doesn't think he's going to be able to accomplish anything because he lost his hammer. And then, uh, his his dad says, "What are you, Thor, the god of hammers?" Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Man, that is like just saying it now." That like gives me chills because it's so true. It's so easy to limit yourself based on like you know something 
that augments you or like your past experiences and feeling, you know, that you're, that your worth is based on things that you've accomplished previously yeah, or things that, things that help you do your job. But when in reality, like your, your true self-worth comes from just like, you know, your desire to be a life pilot and to be a person that can reason your way out of scenarios. And that is, that is just like such great writing. And that's something that it's, that's just, you know, one of the most inspirational things I've ever heard. And I just love that that comes from a movie like Thor Ragnarok, which is like decidedly goofy. Right. Oh, for sure, man. Yep. I, I love those films almost as much as I love. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, Way to bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> Expert level segue. So I I can't wait for you to watch this show. I know you're going to love it. Um, and I do, like, I highly recommend anyone who's a fan of Always Sunny to check out that episode of uh, Dax Shepard's podcast. It is just a hilarious and fascinating interview. And uh, you really get to see what a stand-up, fantastic guy Rob uh, Mickelhenny is. So to sum up, It's Always Sunny... It's Seinfeld on crack, it's Frasier on PCP, and it's Friends on meth. Uh, it is not a show for everyone. But fortunately, when you watch it, you will know right away whether it is just not for you or if you'll soon be like me, a super fan. Because Always Sunny is truly some of the most expertly crafted and executed comedy. Thanks to the obvious chemistry of the cast the genius of the writers, and the insane discipline and dedication of mastermind Rob McElhenney. It's Always Sunny grew from being just an idea into a pilot shot by some friends with just a few hundred dollars to be pitched to FX and then transforming finally into what it is today, a widely loved and widely acclaimed paragon of dark comedy. Can't wait to watch season 15. It'll be out soon. That sounds amazing. You know, I was looking for it last night, and the only place I could find it was on Prime for purchase. You know, it's like uh, I couldn't find it streaming for free anywhere. And I didn't, didn't, like, pull the trigger on it yesterday, but I kind of wanted to hear your take on it. But you have definitely sold me on this. Like, this is... It's almost certainly going into my content circuit, maybe even tonight. Well, bef- I have a feeling I'm going to be spending, I don't know, maybe 100 to 150 bucks downloading all these seasons in the future. Well, um, it is available on Hulu. They have some interesting ah. ties to Hulu. Hulu kind of saved the show at one point. And I'm going to link to several articles in the show notes. Uh, a lot of stuff. I have a lot of stuff for you to check out because, you know, Always Sunny fans love to learn more stuff about behind the scenes. Um, and so some stuff that I really enjoyed reading, I'm going to share. But um, so, you know, they have some some interesting uh, ties with Hulu. Of course, it is on FX. If you're into that sort of old school uh, boomer cable television <laughs> gross um and youtube tv i think uh through a partnership with hulu but if if you do end up having to just you know bite the bullet and purchase it i mean it is worth uh it's worth every penny and it is like one of those things that you're gonna watch over and over because it, it's just that good sounds like the best investment of my money would be getting a hulu membership 
<laughs> so maybe that's what I'll do. There you go. And you know, like I said, this is, you're not the first person that I highly respect that has told me how great this show is. Also, one of my best friends in the world, Jesse, is always raving about the show, but there's just, there's so much content and it's so hard to narrow down what I want to spend my time on. But, you know, that's the beauty of this show. It's exactly the point to try to sell people on the idea of the content that we love. And, dude, you, like, definitely sold me on this one. There, There's definitely been things in the past. I'm like, eh, maybe I'll watch it. It's going to have to go into my queue. But this one is getting bumped up, like, immediately to the top. Happy so. to hear that. That was my goal. Thanks for making such an awesome presentation on it. That was really great. And this sounds like some of the best stuff that's ever been produced. That's true. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening to the show this week. We truly appreciate it. Uh, Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. Send us a message at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or check us out at cchpod.com if you're into listening to your podcasts on a computer, which is very strange, but it's there for you. And uh, please tell your friends about the show. Check out our show notes where we have all of our links. You can find a bunch of uh, additional content and information there and please rate review on itunes five stars if you love us and thanks so much for listening and we will see you guys next week